0: Well, good morning to all of you, and uh, good to be back again. Uh, let's hand out the handouts first. Uh, uh, Paul, could you just give me a helping hand on that? So while the handouts go on, and uh, you, you you will have the handouts with you, so that it helps you to follow through the through the through the sermon itself. Okay. Okay, we are we are back, and uh, as we continue to look at uh, the characteristics of agape love in the New Testament, uh, this is uh, part two M of our series of study on agape love. Uh, in in the last lesson, we have seen, uh, you know, that Paul started uh, looking at the four positive characteristics, isn't it? That love uh, bears all things, believes all things. Uh, yeah, and that, uh, today we're going we're to continue at, uh, 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 with the, 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 last, the, the last two of the four characteristics, which is that love hopes all things, endures all things. So well, we're going to launch into uh, the, the first one. Let's look at the, the, the third characteristic, which is that love hopes all things. The, the word hopes uh, comes from this Greek word, elpizo, uh, which is actually from, uh, from the root word elpis, uh, which means hope itself. Or confidence in the future so it portrays this sense of confidence in the future so that's what this word is so when we look at this characteristic of Agape love that love hopes all things it essentially addresses the future yeah it's the hope of the future as opposed to the present or the past so we, that's, so, so this is what what it, it looks is it, it's looking at it's looking at the view into the future uh, instead of looking at the present and the past so and Paul also uses it in the present tense, which means that we are to adopt this continuous mindset, you know, an attitude of hoping in all things. And Vine, Vine uh, the the, uh, the the Greek scholar, he writes there, is in your notes as well, where he said, I quote, he said that love delights to entertain the best expectations. If there is an absence of anything to prompt them, the hope is there. If conditions are ad- adverse, love still hopes for the best, even if the hope meets with repeated disappointment. Love waits on expectantly and perseveringly. This is part of love's endurance. I think that vines put it very, very well there. You know that. Yes, we know. We have seen so far that in agape love, that agape love believes all things, isn't it? Uh, in 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 the, in the second characteristic itself, agape believes all things because it believes in the best in others. And now that the Bible says that it hopes all things, in other words, that it is awaiting, as Vine said, with the best expectations that good will come out of all things. So it does not only believe in the good of others, it has these uh, great expectations uh, in others, uh, in, in, in things to, uh, you know, to, to come to fruition as well. So at this point in time, as we look at it, the inclusion of hope as Part of agape's uh, four, char- four positive characteristics is it's very logical. You think about it, it's very logical for Paul to insert hope here. So when you look at agape love, the the, you know, the characteristics itself. So when agape love confronts sin and evil, which is committed in the past, yeah, agape love will address the present by believing, uh, by bearing, so by bearing all things. Okay, so agape love encounters sin. That has been done in the past. So it will act presently by bearing all things. We know the word bearing means to protect, to provide this protective cover, isn't it? It protects the sinner, you know, and helps the sinner to work away from his sin. So that's what it, that, that's what it was. The why that Agape Love protects the sinner? Because, as Paul said, that he believes all things. That means that Agape Love protects the sinner from his sin is because he believes in the best of the offender. And now that Paul said that now, Agape love has this hope for him as well, that he will turn to God in the future. So it looks at the past, encounters the past, it deals with it in the present, and then it works for the future as well. So Agape love is very comprehensive, isn't it, in an encompassing attitude itself. Yes, so the Agape love hopes all things. He hopes uh, for the best for the sinner in, in the future to turn, from, uh, turn to God. But then that begs the question, is it? Some people might ask that, uh, how can Agape love hope in all things, in people, where people are likely to fail us? If you think about it, yeah, it's true, isn't it? Yes, people fail us. So when this happens, when people fail us, some people might say that, isn't it the case that Agape's hope has failed? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, but I, I think that the question, the question is a good question, but I think the question fails to bear, to bear in mind the context and the meaning of Paul's teaching about agape love. You see What agape hope is about. So when, when Paul, in the context of 1 Corinthians 13, discusses the, uh, the aspects of agape love's hope, that agape love hopes all things, Paul was not discussing about people failing us. Right? We need to bear this in mind. He was not discussing about people failing us or people disappointing us. He was discussing about the attitude that we must adopt when we deal with others he was talking about our attitude okay so always better in mind so let's consider this what uh, paul has been talking about this paul says that agape endures all things believes all things hope all things so if you think about this isn't it the case that people might refuse to accept our protective cover when we bear with them yeah? when we try to protect them from their sins, there are people who will not accept the protection. When we believe in the good of others, some people will not accept that, isn't it? And when we, hope that the, when we have hope for them, there are people who will fail us, isn't it right? That's the case with, with, with human beings and with people. But then does that mean that Agape Lev has totally failed? You know, we try to protect someone from the sin, they refuse to accept that, they continue to persist in sin. We believe in the good, the best in people, but then people fail us. We hope for the best for them and they fail us. does it mean agape love has failed? But remember that Paul said later on in 1 Corinthians 13 7 as well that love never fails. So since love never fails, how then, uh, you know, how, how do we reconcile the, the fact that the, when people disappoint us, you see, and yet the love never fails when people disappoint us. So this is where that the context becomes very important. You see, the context is that Paul was talking about our motives, what drives us in agape love to seek the highest good in others, not the results. Paul wasn't discussing results; he was discussing motives. You see, so that's very important. That in order to understand how agape works and how agape love. Agape's hope never fails we need to understand what the Bible means by hope you see and how this hope works okay, that's very important to understand that so Agape's motive of hope can be seen in two areas in the Christian's life there are two aspects of our life that we we, we can apply this hope in firstly, it has to do with Agape's hope in relation to God first let's look at our hope in God yeah, this is the first the first aspect of it. So in relation to the Christian's relationship with God, you know, his agape love for God gives him hope. The, 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 the reason is because the Bible tells us that he knows that we know we as Christians we know that God is faithful and he is true to his word. Titus 1, verses 1 down to verse 3 says this. where Paul said that Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness, Paul said in verse 2, he said, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began, but has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Saviour. So Paul here assures us of God's faithfulness to his promises of eternal life for the faithful. And it is because that God has promised, and God is faithful, and Paul said that God cannot lie, therefore it gives the Christian hope. You see, that, that this hope drives us to continue to love God with all our heart, with all our strength, and serve Him, and serve one another in faithfulness. In the Old Testament, we see an example of Abraham uh, discussing, you know, when his discussion in Genesis 18, concerning the fate of Sodom and Gomorrah. We know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. Is in the story, the famous, uh, known, or the notorious story there. You know that Abraham was discussing with God concerning the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham was concerned, if you remember the stories in Genesis 18, he was concerned that, what if there were righteous souls um, among these evil people? Would, this, would, you know, would God not destroy the righteous with the evil? You know, there, there was a lot of conversation and negotiations between uh, <laughs> Abraham and the Lord. And Abraham said this uh, in verse 25 of Genesis 18. You know, he has come to the conclusion. He said this after the discussion with God. He said that far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. And Abraham made this very important statement there. He, he said that shall not the judge of all the earth do right, Shall not the Judge of all the earth do right? So this statement from Abraham itself, although it's a question, it's a rhetorical question there, that we see that, uh, Abraham's faith and his confidence in the Lord, as the Judge of all the earth, to do the right thing. You know that he realizes that God is faithful to His word, that He will not destroy the righteous amongst the wicked, and He will keep to His word, and therefore that we can legitimately actually say that. This statement was Abraham's statement of his hope in God for a righteous outcome. This is a hope in God yeah, for a righteous outcome. So he knew that, that his hope would not fail because of who God is. He is the judge, the righteous judge of the earth. And he knows that his hope will not fail because that the judge of the earth will do the right thing. And he knows that his hope will not fail because he knows that the Lord, being who he is, would not disappoint him, even where Sodom and Gomorrah would not repent, and be destroyed later on. So it shows that hope never fails. You see, because the hope that never fails is the hope that is in God that never fails. This is what Paul was discussing in First Corinthians thirteen, and Paul again in Romans fifteen verse four, uh, speaking of the scriptures and the example of the Old Testament examples, he said this in Romans fifteen four. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Again, that Paul pointed the, the, the way for the church to find hope today. Today, especially if our, uh, that if, if we want to further our faith, strengthen our resolve in Christ, we need to learn the scriptures. It's from the scriptures, as Paul said, that we get to know who God is. We get to see His powerful deeds of faithfulness his display of might for the faithful his wrath his judgement you know and it was always right what he did was always right and therefore the Paul said we can find hope in, in God so this is where the, for Christians to learn to have hope in God is to learn from the scriptures who God is and what he has done and this is where the, it will lead us to realise that God is in control of all things. And as Paul said in Romans 8.28, that because He is in control of all things, He will cause all things to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So from these passages and teachings, we we get to glean the principle of Agape's hope. And it tells us why the Agape's hope never fails. It never fails because Agape's hope is in God. Yeah, that's the foundation of Agape's hope. It is the hope in God, not in the material, but in the spiritual matters pertaining to salvation. You know, we don't hope in God to make us rich (laughs) or make us healthy or whatever it is. Our hope in God is in the spiritual matters. Salvation, eternal life, and heaven to come. So this is where when our hope is in the spiritual things, and in God, Agape's hope in all things will, not, will never disappoint us because of who God is. So that's the first aspect of it, our hope in relation to God. But what about our hope in relation to people? This is the second aspect of it that we, we need to look at. So since we have established it from the biblical principle that, that the, the foundation point is that Agape's hope is always in God, then our hope could not be in people, isn't it? But our hope can only be for people. For them, our hope for them to turn to God and do what is right. You see, it is because of our hope for people to turn to God. And that's why that it drives us to want to reach out to, 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 do this, to the lost in the world and to the fallen brethren in an attempt to restore them and bring them back. Because we have hope for them. But, when, but when, when we become victims of someone else's sin, agape applies in the same way and works in the same way. Agape will still continue to seek the other's highest good and hope for the offender's repentance. You see? So bear this in mind, you see, that Paul was not discussing agape's hope in people. He was not talking about that. If, we, if our hope is in people, it will fail because people fail us but when we hope for people then that's a different story you see yeah. and Agape's hope is in God in God that things will work out right because of who God is and when it applies to people it's for people to turn because our hope is in God so then, that's why that when our hope is in God that's why that we have got confidence in the future because of who God is and what he, he will do. So when the New Testament speaks of Agape's hope or the Christian's hope, okay, the, the, this is not about a wishful thinking or perhaps that something might happen. Uh, you know, uh, let's hope that it happens. No, this is not the kind of hope that Agape's uh, love is about. And the New Testament does not talk about that. It is that hope in God, that unshakable confidence in Jesus Christ, that because of who he is, that things will Work out for good, is it? And that good will eventually overcome evil, no matter how bad the, the, the present situation may be, that God will always make things right, and that's our hope in God. And that's why the Agape, as, as, uh, as some uh, writers say, you know, it, 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 it always shows this godly optimism in that Agape does not have this negative and critical spirit. Agape is always positive and has got great hope in God and he has great hope for others even though that some others may not be hopeful anymore but Agape will always still be hopeful Christmaker the commentator he said this I quote that he said that hope is the converse of pessimism and the essence of healthy optimism hope is never focused on oneself but always on God in Christ Jesus see that's what Christmaker was saying Agape's hope is in God not in people and hence it never fails. It is because that Agape's hope is always focused on God. Confident that whatever happens, God will always bring things to pass in accordance to His will and to His glory. And it is this hope and confidence in God that gives us the confidence to lead us to do whatever we, take, whatever we can in our, with our best efforts, in all that we do, in accordance to God's will. And having done that, that we can still continue to hope in God for a positive outcome for others. Let God take care of the results. You see? You know? Because our hope is in God. This is where Agape love never fails. Because when the Bible talks about Agape's hope, it is never focused on the outcome. It focuses on the motive. And the motive is hope in God and for God as well. So when man fails us, Agape's hope for them yes may have been disappointed but Agape's love has not failed because why? its hope is still in God that God will will, will see to it that the right thing will be done eventually for everyone Uh, Robert Plummer Robertson and Plummer, the, the, the two Greek scholars in their commentary says this, it says that when love has no evidence it believes the best. When the evidence is adverse, it hopes for the best. And when hopes are repeatedly disappointed, it still courageously waits. I think that this is a great statement there. And this, is, this shows that how the Agape's hope is supreme when it's dealing with people. Because Agape's hope will always be there for the best of others. The simple reason is because it believes in the, in the best of in others. And this keeps agape hope going. It keeps agape hope doing what is right in the Lord's sight. It keeps agape hope going on to help others turn to God while hoping for the best outcome for them. How they react, that is an irrelevant matter itself. That's not what Paul was talking about. We see, we see a great example of the display of agape agape's hope in God himself in the Old Testament. You know, it's very interesting. Jeremiah 25. And this teaches us why we should always hope for people, but not in people itself. Jeremiah 25, let's begin from verse 1 to verse 7. Jeremiah writes this. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah, and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, From the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the twenty-third year, in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened not incline your ear to hear. They say, Repent now everyone of his evil ways and his evil doings, and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them, and do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands, and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt so this chapter is very insightful very interesting chapter you, know, you should always tie it together with the, with the book of Kings and Chronicles when you read the history of the Kings you know that here that it gives us a, a, a very a deep insight into Judah's spiritual state during the reign uh, you know, of King Jehoiakim Jehoiakim was the son of King Josiah Josiah was the last godly king of Judah he was the final godly king of Judah you know that he tried, if you read the Kings, you know that he tried from a very young age, and as a teenager, he tried to turn God's people back to God. He did all he could, and yet they refused to turn. So now time for judgment was about to come on the kingdom of Judah with the Babylonian captivity. But even though that it was about time for God's wrath to be on Judah, you, s- you find in this passage that the Lord remained persistent, isn't it? He continued to send his warnings through his prophets, you know, and threatened Judah with his wrath if they did not repent. And then Jeremiah 26 tells us about God's attitude, why he did that. In Jeremiah 26, verses 1 uh, down to 3, and then we just read from verse 13. Jeremiah 26, 1, where Jeremiah says this. He said that in the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, The son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord saying, Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah which come to worship in the Lord's house. All the words that I command you to speak to them, do not diminish a word. Notice what the Lord said here in verse 3. He said, perhaps, perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil way that I may relent concerning the calamity which I purpose to bring on them because of their evil doings. And then down to verse 13 of Jeremiah 26, uh, uh, the Lord said this, Now therefore, amend your ways and your doings, and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Then the Lord will relent concerning the doom that He has pronounced against you. The first year, the beginning of King Jehoiakim, was one year after King Jehoi- uh, Josiah died jo- J- Josiah was the last godly king yeah? so he died one year later this passage was written we know that uh, from the scriptures that uh, Jehoiakim was an evil king the Lord threatened his wrath and his judgment on Judah so many times yet Judah refused to turn but notice what God said he said he was still trying and he said perhaps verse 3 said, perhaps everyone will listen and turn from his evil ways so it shows, us that in spite of Judah's persistent rebellion and refusal to turn, the Lord was still hopeful. He was still hopeful that Judah would turn. The Lord didn't say perhaps some or a few will turn. He said perhaps everyone will listen. God was still very hopeful for Judah. But this, this hope did not just end there in the first year of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah 36 gives you further insight. This was... Four years later, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Jeremiah thirty six verse one. We read from verse three and then we'll read from verse seven after that, just one verse there. So Jeremiah thirty six one, Jeremiah said this Now it came to pass in the fourth year, so now it's the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the uh, that the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Take a scroll of a book and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel, against Judah and against all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah even to today so it's a long time, Josiah, you know and that, notice what verse 3 says it may be that the house of Judah will hear all the adversities which I purpose, I purpose to bring upon them that everyone may turn from his evil way that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin and then notice in verse 7 in the same chapter the Lord said this it may be that they will present their supplications before the Lord and everyone will turn from his evil way for great is the anger and the wrath the fury of the Lord that the Lord has pronounced against this people so it's interesting to see you know how the Lord dealt with Judah Judah was very very stubborn Hell, ban on doing evil, refused to repent. But yet the Lord continued to send Jeremiah, you know, from the days of King Josiah, all the way into Jehoiakim's first year, saying the same thing, with the hope that they may turn, and then into the fourth year of Jehoiakim, saying the same thing, with the hope that everybody will turn. So it shows, isn't it? God's agape hope for people. This is how it is. Situation may not look good, the results are not very positive, negative in fact, very, very negative, but the hope never fails You see? God's hope never fails for his people. And in the New Testament, we've seen this, this verse earlier before as well in our Bible studies. Second Peter 3 9, where again the Peter said that the Lord is not slight concerning his promise as some count slightness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Even in the New Testament, Peter said the same thing. The Lord delayed the coming. You know, in spite of the world being so steeped in evil, it's because of God's desire to save mankind. And His desire to save mankind, and His desire that man will repent, shows God's hope for them. This is Agape's hope that God shows us. how How it should be like. It's for people in spite of you know, the, the evidence to the contrary. So now that we have seen that since God is always hopeful, in spite of the dire circumstances, why should Christians give up hope for people? Isn't it? Why should we give up hope for people to change? As if that God is not in control in all things. God is in control. So therefore we need to have this hope in God, so that we can be hopeful for people. Christmaker, again, in his commentary he writes there, he says this, again the quotation is in your notes there, Of these three virtues, hope is often neglected, the neglected member overshadowed by faith. Nevertheless, when a tripod, a tripod is a, a thing with three legs in it, when a tripod loses one of its legs, its fall is inevitable. When a Christian nurtures love and faith but neglects hope, he fails and falters in his spiritual life. Paul frequently writes the verb of to hope, which appears in his epistle 19 times, out of a total of 31 occurrences in the New Testament. Christmakers say that hope is the converse of pessimism and the essence of healthy optimism. Hope is never focused on oneself but always on God in Christ Jesus. I think Christmaker was right that Agape's hope is healthy optimism, as I said before, it is because our optimism is in God, not in man. So this means that no matter what will happen, Agape's love will always be vindicated, even when people the people whom we hope for fail us. because Agape is an internalized attitude, yeah. The hope is an internalized attitude of the christian you see and it's because it's internalized attitude towards people and that's why the christian agape's hope will never fail it will keep on doing what is necessary with that hope for people to change for the better the writer to the hebrews in hebrews 6 verses 18 uh, down to 20 says this by the two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. You notice what verse 19 says. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Paul I mean the, the writer of The Hebrew says this He said that The Christian hope Is an anchor Of the soul Which is sure And steadfast You know what An anchor does Isn't it For a ship It holds the ship In place You know Especially when The storm is there You know When the storm is raging So it keeps The ship secure So it doesn't Drift away So that's what it is This hope That we have In Agape Is an anchor To our soul It holds us and this hope is sure and steadfast. That means it's a strong anchor that holds us. It holds us because our hope is in God through Jesus Christ. And this hope will never fail. Even people may fail us. And that's why, for these reasons, that we should always hope in God. So now let's move on to the fourth characteristic of agape, where Paul said that, that love endures all things. The word endios comes from this uh, Greek word "hopobone," which is actually a compound word that has got two parts to it you have a prefix there which is hupo which means under and meno in the suffix which means to abide or remain so this word literally means to remain or to abide under so metaphorically it can be used to describe uh, something that is continuing in an activity in a, in, despite resistance and opposition okay so it, it means that it endures, it can take pressure you know, uh, from opposition. The, the, the commentator William Barclay defines this word as having the quality to stand facing the storm, struggling against difficulty and opposition. This is what it is. It, ha- it is a great quality and mindset you know, to, to be able to withstand opposition and difficulty. It's interesting to note also that this word this, this particular word here refers to endurance not endurance in terms of uh, uh, with people but it's enduring difficult circumstances yeah? when the situation is bad this is where the, this word comes into play for us to endure we hold on we are hold the fort until help arrives so that's what this word describes and Paul again that he uses it in the present tense so which means that Paul was telling us that agape, that endures all things, is continuous. There is a continuing perseverance (coughs) and tenacity in all circumstances. It will endure in times of pain, in times of suffering, in times of deprivation, in times of hatred, loss, and loneliness. It will endure. And that's how great this characteristic is. And it has even led to, to the Greek philosopher Philo to call this this particular Greek characteristic as the Queen of Virtues you know, it's not the King but the Queen of Virtues so what we have seen from the description of this word in the Greek language is that it actually indicates activity instead of passivity so what it means is this, yeah? when agape endures all things, it, is, it has this quality of making progress against difficult circumstances. Making progress against circumstances. Okay? And it can turn you know suffering and hardship into grace and glory. That's what it is. You see, it is it is not a, the kind of attitude, you know, when things become difficult, sometimes we say, ah, just just bear with it, you know, just do nothing but bear with it. Green and bear as you call it. This is not how the word is being this, this, this defined. It is a triumphant facing of difficult circumstances. You see, when Agape has this triumphant attitude when circumstances become difficult because Agape knows that even of evil, that God will guarantee good out of it. God will bring good out of it because its hope is in God. Its endurance is in God. Some Greek scholars call this the frame of mind which endures. Again, it's a mindset issue. It's not just a physical thing, but it paints this picture. It? I don't know if you have seen uh, the recent Olympics, uh, uh, you know, weightlifters. You know the weightlifting event. So it portrays this picture of a weightlifter. You know that who has got this heavy load on the barbell on his on his shoulders on his under him or her, and that he he sits at the bottom of a squat. He doesn't just sit there and then you know and then give up, isn't it? He what what does he do? He squats on it and he rises up with the weight, doesn't it? He? And heave it over his head. So that's what Agape endurance is. It doesn't sit un- at the bottom and bear the load and hope for the best, no. It rises, it makes progress. So it does not remain static, it is progressive in difficult circumstances. So it, ha- it, des- it describes an, an active endurance and has this quality that helps you know, like a marathon runner. The marathon runner is exhausted, physically tired, but mentally he's enduring and moving, moving and moving forward. So that's what this word defines. Uh, you know, the mindset of a champion, somebody who does not uh, remain static or succumb under pressure, but continue to look forward and move forward in spite of the pressure. Uh, Thichelton uh, writes about this word that he said that, that this word refers to an endurance of setback and rebuffs which never gives up It is an enduring, it is a characteristic that never never gives up This fourth characteristic of agape is necessary you know, for agape to have this constancy and persistency When you look at the context of First Corinthians 13 in the description of agape itself you can see that when agape meets tough situations, agape always does right, isn't it? It always does what is right and when you do what is right, you will always meet fierce and strong opposition. So, when agape love confronts sin and evil, it will meet strong and fierce oppos- resistance. And when there are resistance, endurance is necessary. Agape endures. And that's why that is a, a, it's an important characteristic for every Christian to have the endurance. You see? When we face pressure from others, when we try to do right, We face pressure from family From friends From unfaithful brethren in the church You need endurance To continue to persevere And do what is right And this is where that uh, Robertson and Plummer writes That he said that The agape that endures all things Is that cheerful and loyal fortitude Which having done all without apparent success Still stands and endures Whether the ingratitude of friends Or the persecution of foes So agape uh, in Agape's endurance is very positive, very cheerful in its outlook. In spite of the pressure, in spite of the opposition, it never gives up. It continues to plow on, as you call it. And this is where we see this queen of virtues in the lives of. We see that even in the lives of the Lord, our Lord and the apostles, isn't it? How all the op- oppositions they faced, they continued to plow on and do what was right. You see, this, this is where that our Lord and the Apostles' examples have shown us what Christianity is actually about. It is about standing up for the Lord against opposition in life, not fearing or allowing such trials to stop our walk of faith and to make, that we make this progressive spiritual growth against the odds, against the, 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 the circumstances, overcoming trials and achieving, achieving victory in Jesus. So as we end here, in closing, what I want to do is, is to recap what we have learned about agape so far. So, brethren, in order for us to fully grasp Paul's meaning in these four characteristics of agape love, we, we need to read them in, in their context. Follow the flow of thinking of Paul. Yeah? So, if, if you want to follow the thinking, I would suggest you read from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, where Paul said that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Then in verse 7, he said that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So what it means is this, that agape love that does not lean favorably, we know that, isn't it? It doesn't lean favorably towards iniquity, but it leans and joins in favor of the truth. Such an attitude that if you, if you, are not, if, if you do not favor iniquity, but you favor the truth, you will grieve when you encounter sin and evil in others. You'll be sad for them. you know, you feel sad for them and you grieve. And the agape love will prompt us to want to act in their best interest. Seek their highest good. That's what agape is, isn't it? Seek the highest good. But then the question is, how, how do we seek the highest good in others? This is where Paul explains in these four characteristics. You want to seek the highest good in others? Do this! bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things this is how you do it so Paul's words here is that Agape's action will be to protect the sinner you protect him by not ignoring the sin but draw his attention to his sin call him to account for his wrong with patience like love is patient that's what you do Grant him this opportunity to, to to repent. You see? Warn him that if you do not repent and delay repentance, you face wrath of God. This is Agape's kindness. Love is kind. And such actions must be done without pride. It is not proud. Without arrogance, it is not puffed up. You know, and it's not you know, there to put the sinner down You order to raise itself up. It does not vault itself, or operate itself. We see all these characteristics in play. So this is love's protection of the sinner in bearing all things. This is Agape's love that believes in the good of the sinner and tries to view the sinner in the best possible light and as a candidate of salvation. This is Agape's love that hopes all things, that it holds high hopes for the sinner's repentance and patiently awaits for the day to come. And this is Agape's love that endures all things, That is, it is prepared to endure any negative response or personal attacks coming from the sinner or others because of its desire to to seek the highest good in others. William Barclay said this. He said that one thing remains to be said. When we think of the qualities of this love as Paul portrays them, we can see them realised in the life of Jesus himself. The Lord's Church needs to learn and to relearn these great characteristics of agape love over and over again that if if we want to become light for Christ in this dark and evil world we must learn and practice agape in its purest form as Paul has shown us and not the kind of fake kind of lovey-dovey unoffending kind of false attitude that many people in the religious world as well as some in the brotherhood are promoting today the Bible shows us that agape is a powerful force for the good of others but it is also a force that the world will resist and fight against. Because, why? Because agape will never overlook or tolerate evil and sin. Agape love may be loving, but it can be loathing to, to many who, want, who, who do not want to change their lives and live in their sins. They will hate the fact that agape has called them to account, challenged them to turn. And the Bible is full of examples of, of such cases, isn't it? when agape was practiced on them and you see that fierce and strong oppositions happen for those who are evil and this shows us that how unpopular agape is in its purest form in spite of agape being good and godly it is not well liked brethren don't think that if you practice agape love on others you know that uh, you'll be you'll be a you know a, a favorite amongst others no the Bible shows us it is not the case. Most of the time it's not the case. And and this is shown in Romans 5. This is proven in Romans 5, 8 where Paul said that but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul confirmed, you see, that it was agape love that Jesus had that led to his death for us on the cross. Why did Jesus die? Because the world hates him, isn't it? And he is love. Jesus displayed the purest form of agape in his early, earthly ministry and yet they crucified him. That's how unpopular agape is. And Lansky sums up, the commentary sums up the, the last description of love, love where he said this. Uh, it's in your notes again, I quote. In these four statements, the inner power of love is revealed. Her head is held high. Her eye is bright and shining. Her hand steady and true her heart strong with strength from above. This love has rightly been called the greatest thing in the world. Paul does not describe love in its greatest works, sacrifices, martyrdoms, triumphs. He goes into the ordinary circumstances of life as we meet them day by day and shows us the picture of love as it must be under these. We find ready excuses when great things are made the goal of our attainment whole cuts of all such excuses. Be a true Christian, everyday Christian, in the exercise of love. Then all great triumphs of love will take care of themselves. He who fails in the ordinary works of love will not even have an opportunity when the supreme moment for the performance of the extraordinary arrives. So that was a great quote there. So brethren, let us not take a skewed or skewed understanding of this great pure and wholesome attribute of God let us learn in its purest form, practice it with true sincerity of heart, glorify God in it, because the God who is love, who so loved the world that he has given his only begotten son to die on the cross for us to save us from condemnation that we as his followers should be Christ-like, God-like because we are heirs of his salvation. We are children of God. We, we need to demonstrate this and live by these principles of agape love. Not only for God, but for others and for one another. Just as Christ has loved us and given himself for us. Unless and until agape is truly taught and practiced in its purest form, the Lord's church will never grow spiritually to glorify God in all things. Brethren, in closing here, let us practice this great attribute today and love God and others as He has decreed in this world, that we may glorify Him in love in all things. Thank you.